Growth Mindset. It is October 23rd, 2020, and today I, w- I will be addressing social and political problems that Africa has been facing recently. After COVID shook up the world in the first half of 2020, we are closing the year with a wave of political and social tension in many countries in sub-Saharan Africa. People are dying into the hands of their own government in exercising their right to protest. You don't have to think far to realize that this is wrong. Protest is what made this world what it is today. And no matter how you feel about these issues, people have the right to express their frustrations. In Guinea, which is my homeland, we see a leader manipulating the constitution, the legislative process, and the military to remain in power. This is not new to African politics or global politics. So my thoughts and prayers goes out to my fellow Guinean brothers and sisters who are losing their lives in this fight for change. Elsewhere, we see how police brutality has also led to social unrest in Nigeria. And now they are raising their voice to denounce SARS, a special unit in the Nigerian police that has been brutalizing and killing innocent citizens. So my thoughts and prayers also goes out to all my fellow Nigerians. As many of you know, Africa is close to my heart. And these are historical towns for us in Africa. You have blood spilling in Ivory Coast, Cameroon, Congo, and other countries. These are the same problems that keep coming up. It always hurts because so many young people have lost their lives, but it only alarms the African diaspora when it hits close to home. So the diaspora must be locked into what is transpiring on the continent at all times. So today, I want to talk specifically about politics in developing economies of sub-Saharan Africa, the weakness of our institutions, the illusion of democracy, and the economic consequences on the people. My specific example will be about Guinea because it is home. I am more familiar with its reality and this moment has been building up for some time now. I'm sure you will find a lot of similarities with other countries on in Sub-Saharan Africa. This is in line with economic development as a pillar on this Growth Mindset podcast. So listen up. I will unpack all of this with a heavy heart for my country. Let's do it. I want to start off by calling on you to listen carefully. Because when we start talking politics, people get emotional, people lose common sense, people lack empathy, and people ignore history. I also want you to remember that where you stand in historical moments like these, in high leverage moments like these, will be attached to your own personal legacy. So today we're saying Africa's bleeding. I believe Africa has been bleeding for decades and decades now. The question is, why is Africa bleeding? There are many reasons, but let's explore the most common reasons we know. Imperialism, dictatorship, tyranny, greed, nepotism, corruption, and tribalism. There are many more, but let's highlight these when it comes to sub-Saharan Africa. We're also not going to paint all of the countries in sub-Saharan Africa with the same brush because you do have stable and growing economies, so this does not apply to every single country. So I'm, I'm not going to spend much time 
talking about imperialism and the influence of foreign powers because I'm done blaming others for our problems. We call ourselves independent. We like to celebrate all these independent days, independence days with big enthusiasm on social media, in the streets. So we have to act and speak like independent people. Africa's problems today is because of Africans first and foremost. Next, let's look at dictatorship, tyranny, greed, nepotism, and corruption. I believe we can group these as one because they persist due to the lack of strong institution to hold people accountable and the lack of separation of powers. These are the biggest issues in my eyes. Because when we think about what transpired after the independence wave across sub-Saharan Africa in the 1960s, it helps us put into context how we got here. Many sub-Saharan African countries dove into the so-called democracies without separating and solidifying the powers of the governing institution. Without this check and balance, many presidents were given power like kings. Now, mind you that we have a history of kingdoms across the continent, so this was a natural fit, and it was easily amplified by the masses. We are in 2020, and we still have president, presidents in sub-Saharan Africa who go to great length to manipulate governing institutions in order to remain in power beyond their term limits. One could argue that this is more prevalent in French in ex-French colonies, but nevertheless, it is happening across the board. We will never evolve as a society without strong, accountable public institutions. Private sector development does not happen without strong public sector. Human beings are always overwhelmed with greed in their natural state. We're just programmed like that. It is our survival of the fittest instinct that regardless of the color of your skin. So without strong institutions that control our actions, we will go as far as killing each other to satisfy our desires. Let's be more, let's get more specific. One of the biggest problems crippling sub-Saharan Africa is bad leadership. Not that we haven't had examples of good leadership on the continent. We definitely have, but majority are bad. On top of having bad leaders, most of them want to remain in power for life. This means that one person can govern for over 40 years. Pretty much how many generations is that? Our leaders have to have unlimited powers despite the Constitution saying otherwise. They break laws and manipulate regulators freely because there is little, little to no check on their powers. In Guinea, for example... I don't give a damn what party you support. The candidacy of the sitting president, Alpha Conde, for a third term is exactly why we are not evolving as a society. We have seen this movie before plenty of times. As a country, we have to be able to have strong institutions with people of character holding leaders accountable. We have to be able to go through election cycles without fighting and killing innocent people. This directly impacts our credit rating with financial institutions in order to get loans to invest in all of these things we want to invest in. Our status as an investment destination is affected. Our overall growth trajectory, our overall growth as a country is affected.
The sitting president did two terms, as stated in the Constitution when he got to power. Regardless of how you feel about his track record and results during this time, it is time for the country to move forward. Simple as that. It is a similar case in Ivory Coast where the president is also is also seeking a third term. This case is interesting because <laughs> this is a leader that was thought to be different, right? He was an economist, had a long career in global finance institutions. He overcame a contested election where the French army had to intervene <laughs> to remove the ex-president who was trying to cling to power. So one would think that this president would be the last to try to get a third term given that background. This goes to show you that many of our leaders feel emboldened and even supported to manipulate the system because of the lack of uh, check and balance in their powers. A third example is actually someone that I, that I really admire. President Kagame of Rwanda is, in my opinion, one of the best leaders we have seen on the continent. He has united the people, established strong institutions, invested heavily in security, healthcare, education, and built a lot of infrastructures. His style of leadership should be a model in sub-Saharan Africa, in my, in my opinion. Despite how much I admire the man, I will still call out what I believe is wrong when he managed to change the Constitution to remove term limits. This is a bad precedent for his country, in my opinion, and a bad example for the rest of the presidents on the continent. Especially when you count the fact that it was right before he was leading the African Union. So, as much as we may support and admire our leaders, we have to have the courage to call them out when we believe they are being selfish. It's just that. All of this leads me to my next point that democracy is an illusion in most countries. The biggest fallacy that has been spread is that democracy is about the greater good or the will of the majority. That's a lie. Democracy is about personal and private interests. I'll give you a personal story. It might offend some people, but at this point, I really don't care. When you see how many people have died for change, who cares about hurting people's feelings? In the context of Guinea, I'm old enough to remember when the previous president, Conte, was in power. I remember how I used to say to my parents directly that their generation failed us because they stood by while Conte uh, clinged to power. When I look across my peers at the time, we were all mostly students back then, and I remember the passionate posts and comments people had denouncing his government, his record, and how he was clinging to power despite his old age. Fast forward a decade later, and history repeats itself in a society that refuses to evolve. That's why we say Africans' problems are because of African people. Now that some of us have businesses that depend on contracts with this current administration, others have jobs linked to the current administration, or many just have good relationship with the people in the current administration, the tones have, of these same people have changed. Many of those same people, same people that were denouncing a decade ago are for the most part really quiet or supporting the president trying to cling to power, the current president. This is a small context at our micro level to show you that democracy is not 
about the greater good. It's about personal interest. Imagine this at a large scale, right? With big corporations, powerful countries, and trade partners manipulating the democratic process and the public opinion to protect their interests. These are the invisible hands that are holding Guinea hostage and that bring Guineans to turn on each other. I say all of this to especially advise my younger brothers and sisters who are passionately engaged for change that this democracy we're fighting for is more anchored by personal and private interests than the greater good. Unfortunately, many countries claim to be democratic today when they're really not. So remember that defending the integrity of the democracy is the ultimate goal, not defending one particular candidate or party. That's what will outlive us and give a foundation for developing our homeland. Next, we have tribalism. This topic deserves a great deep dive from an African standpoint and historical standpoint, but I will speak about it from my personal experience. And listen to this because this part is very important. I believe black people have got to be the race that has developed the biggest expertise in dividing itself. And I mean that. You have arguments of light skin versus dark skin, blacks versus descendants of slaves. You have 54 countries on the continent who trade more with the rest of the world than between ourselves. You have each country making more bilateral deals with the West to be the favorite African buddy instead of finding deals as a unit. You have each tribe of the same country creating their own organization when they're abroad, even when they know that they have more strength, more impact, and more results when the organization is bigger. The list goes on, and it is pathetic. It's like we're still living the trauma of the scramble for Africa when Europeans divided us into what our countries are today. In Guinea, Fulanis and Mandingos are the biggest tribes and each represent about 40% of the population. I come from a home where my dad is Mandingo and my mom is Fulani. I grew up on the coast of Guinea, but I have spent vacations in Futa and Kankan. I took the time to learn Susu, Mandingo and Fulani. I have studied our history, our natural resources and our economic trajectory. I've heard it all and I've seen it all when it comes to Guinea. So my advice to all of my peers and and the youth is to take the time to learn about Guinea. Not one side of Guinea, not one language, not one cultural heritage that you were exposed to by your parents. Don't just learn that, but learn all of Guinea. You will learn that you have a beautiful melting pot of rich and revered African culture. If you only know Guinea from the perspective that you got from your parents or your tribe, then your subconscious is playing tricks on you and you don't even know it. You are biased whether you admit it or not. So take the time to learn Guinea. I was recently talking to a young Guinean student named Fatima Barry based in New York City, 
and I was giving her career advice and whatnot. And then we just started talking about Guinea. She said something about Guinea that was so true and so well said that it hit me really hard. I had to pause for a minute and realize that I had never thought about this. She said, Bureau, do you know that two Guineans can meet in Guinea and they won't be able to communicate because they don't speak the same language? It sounds so simple, but it's so true. Just think about the percentage of people that live outside the coastal region, right? Think about how the regions are naturally structured with the different ethnic groups, and then think about how many of them only speak their mother tongue which is, we know is different across the region, right? We're talking about close to half the population. So half the population cannot communicate, understand each other, and get on the same page among themselves. Then I thought about how many other countries have this same disconnect in Sub-Saharan Africa. How do we expect these people to find unity when they have leaders that use this disconnect for their own personal interests. It is really sad. This is why I call on Guineans to learn about Guinea, learn the languages, and learn about the cultures. We easily learn Western languages and cultures pretty well, so it should not be hard if you really want to. I know that I'm mostly speaking to the diaspora right now, but we have to start somewhere. If you look at your top five or, or top 10 friends, or people in your circle besides your family, and they're all from the same tribe, tribe as you, then that should be a sign that you have to engage more with other Guineans. You have people that will call themselves Mandingo or Fulani before they call themselves Guineans. That has to change. We gotta do better as people. If your parents work hard for you to get a better education, learn how to reason like, like an intellectual, it is because they want you to be someone that would elevate your community. To close this talk, let's look at the economic consequences of all of this. Nearly 60 years of independence and many still lack water, electricity, and roads. Education and healthcare is more, in most regions do not even meet basic standards. To put this into context, when you go back to the 1960s, the GDP per capita of sub-Saharan Africa was comparable to that of Southeast Asia. So Malaysia, Thailand, Philippines, and all of that. We both, we, we, each region had a GDP per person of about $100, right? You fast forward to today, Africa, sub-Saharan Africa stands at about $1,800 per person, while Southeast Asia is as high as $5,000 per person. You can't even compare the infrastructure, so I'm not even going to talk about that. So we're in 2020, and we still need to explain to educated African millennials why we cannot keep doing the same thing why we can't be divided, why we can't let leaders cling to power, why, we, why you have to protect the integrity of the democracy and the institutions. The fact that even millennials can't agree on this or are silent about it to protect their personal interests goes to show you why 
my initial point that Africa's problems today is because of Africans first and foremost. Guinea, Guinea's problem is, is because of Guineans. A country is built by its men and women who dare to challenge the status quo and build the future for the nation. It is easy to look at history and praise all these icons that fought for change, right? That is easy. Where you yourself stand in the historical moments of your lifetime, right? The issues of your lifetime, that's what defines you. And that is the hard part. So once again, my thoughts and prayers and condolences goes out to all the people we have lost in these recent protests in Guinea, Nigeria, and many other parts of Sub-Saharan Africa. The fight for an emerging Africa and an emerging Guinea continues.